0: What does it mean to be called to do justice work? Um, all, these, all these questions, which are the questions we all confront, um, have been faced before by other people. And to see their example of how they thought about it and how they spoke about it and how they responded, I think can be a gift to people to be able to sort of journey with those others of the past.
1: This is the CBF Podcast Conversations. Each week, we are bringing you stories from across the world of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and creativity from practitioners, ministers, thinkers, authors, and more. I'm Andy Hale, your podcast host. We're excited about another year of delivering interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. This platform is not designed for you to listen on an island unto yourself. Share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Tucker, Georgia. Warsaw, Poland, San Francisco, California, and Sydney, Australia, first-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We also want to give a special shout-out to some of our podcast listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Cindy Foldendore, Bill Johnson, Ralph Stocks, and that anonymous person that keeps giving a gift in honor of CBF. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our three annual sponsors, the Center for Congregational Health, McAfee School of Theology Doctorate and Ministry Program, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. And now, on to our conversation. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health, whose mission is to help faith communities and their leaders thrive. Healthy congregations can transform their communities to be more compassionate, faithful, and just. Utilizing a network of highly skilled coaches, consultants, and intentional interim ministers, the Center supports congregations and ministry leaders to address the challenges they face. Visit their website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about how the Center can be your trusted partner in ministry. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Martin Doblmeier. Martin is a filmmaker with over 30 films, including The Life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Dorothy Day, and Reinhold Niebuhr. He has a new film out, Spiritual Audacity, The Abraham Joshua Heschel Story. Martin, thank you for joining the conversation.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Andy.
1: Now, with over 30 films under your belt, uh, what inspired your passion for filmmaking?
0: Well, I think that uh, I I feel very blessed that uh, years ago, um, I I studied religion formally in college and high school and college. I was studying religion and always trying to figure out what kind of path that would lead me on. And uh, it wasn't until my mid-20s or so that I put some journalism experience that I had. I had been writing at newspapers and writing stories on religion. And then I thought I wanted to maybe now sort of expand that and get into – Um, More cinematic work, and so I went to school for a couple of years and got a master's degree uh, in broadcast journalism, and that's been my path, my entire professional life. I've been putting together this notion of broadcast journalism, telling stories um, through filmmaking, uh, but but all of them have a, a religion base. And for us, this is this is essentially narrative theology, that we get the opportunity to explore really, I think, important theological themes. And, but to do it through storytelling and filmmaking, um, and I, th- I think that's the vernacular of our day. This is how a lot of people, especially young people, like to get their information and storylines. So while we think our films are entertaining and engaging, hopefully, uh, that, that they are also there's also a storyline underneath it that leads you to theological questions. And hopefully after watching a film, not only do you feel as though you were entertained and sort of take, taken out of your moment for an hour or two, uh, but also it raises some really important theological questions that you can mull over and go to Starbucks and talk about that for the next few hours.
1: Why filmmaking about religious figure figures in, in history? Why was
0: the route that you decided to take? Well, a lot of the films, of the 30-plus films that we have done, have been biographical films, like the film on Bonhoeffer and and now this new one on Abraham Joshua Heschel. We've done other films, too, that have been uh, based on themes so i did a few a film a few years ago called the power of forgiveness and it certainly had a spiritual theological undercurrent to it but it was a, a film about forgiveness so it's not all biographical films but a, again i think one of the reasons why we like biographical films is we get a chance to tell these stories uh, and through the lives of people get to raise these really i think profound and, and life-changing life-shaping uh, theological questions that come up—they had to deal with them in their own lives, like Heschel—and uh, and we all, I think, we're we we don't we don't get a, a pass on that. We have to think think about these questions too about our relationship to God. What does that mean? What is God calling us to do? How should we be thinking about certain things? What does it mean to be called to do justice work? Um, all these all these questions, which are the questions we all confront, um, have been faced before by other people and to see their example of how they thought about it and how they spoke about it and how they responded, uh, I think can be a, a gift to people to be able to sort of journey with those others of the past.
1: Uh, is there, I'm sure as you're studying um, and as you continue to, to develop these films, is there a particular documentary
0: filmmaker that, um, that has inspired you? Well, there haven't been a lot of people who've been doing the same kinds of things. Certainly, Ken, Ken Burns is a great Filmmaker. I mean, he's prolific, unbelievably prolific as a as a filmmaker. He releases his films, as do we, through the public television system mostly. Uh, and he's somebody I think is more than willing to, you know, get into the deeper into the weeds with the really important questions. He, he's particularly interested in race, uh, but he's been a um, he's been a, an inspiring filmmaker for us. He's, he's you know I consider him a contemporary, but he's also somebody who's just left a you know a, an incredible mark. I think, on uh, television documentary filmmaking that I think a lot of us are all competing with in some ways because uh, he really does, does do a terrific job.
1: You do have a, a, a new film, Spiritual Audacity, the, the Abraham-Joshua Heschel story. This documentary gives us a glimpse into the life of one of Judaism's most influential rabbis of the 20th century. Um, Herschel was a a, a Polish Jew educated in Germany who came to the United States in the 1930s as uh, the Nazis began a more public campaign of anti-Semitism. How did you first learn about his story?
0: Well, I've been making uh, films exclusively on religion, faith, and spirituality. And I think that the story of Abraham Heschel has been ruminating in the back of my mind for a long, long time. Um, I met Abraham Heschel's daughter, uh, about 20 years ago when I was in the process of making the film about Dietrich Bonhoeffer because his daughter, Susanna Heschel, uh, is in her own right a really wonderful scholar, especially about the uh, the German churches in the 1930s, the rise of Hitler. Uh, and so even though she wasn't in that film on, on Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I did, um, I, I got a chance to meet her and spend some time with her. And so that planted the seed years ago. And then about three or four years ago, I made a film on um, Reinhold Niebuhr, who was the great public theologian of the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Somebody I really admire, uh, and I think he was one of the leading religious spiritual voices uh, in the mid 20th century in America. He was the go-to person, and whenever the media wanted to ask a question about uh, what should we, how should we be thinking about nuclear war, how should we, th- we be thinking about uh, um, commerce and economics in America and the distribution of wealth in America and questions like this, the big macro questions of life. And he was the one that they went to, uh, and he was just a a remarkable figure. And I made a film on Reinhold Niebuhr, and it was just a wonderful experience. And Reinhold Niebuhr, as much as he was beloved in the public sphere, uh, within his own academic institution, which at the time was Union Theological Seminary on the upper... Uh, upper west side of New York. Didn't it feel as though his uh, compatriots within the academic circles up there really understood what he was trying to get at and what he was doing. And maybe there was some jealousy because he was quite a public figure. Uh, but he became friends with a religious figure across the street who was in the Jewish seminary across the street from Union Theological Seminary. This fellow was at uh, Jewish Theological Seminary right up there in the same area on Broadway and 120th. And his name was uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. And Heschel and Niebuhr became friends. Both of them felt as though they weren't really understood or appreciated in their own seminary circles, but they found an appreciation and a love for each other. Um, and, uh, and, and in fact, Andy, one of the interesting things is that in the, Hesh- in, in the Niebuhr story, I told how uh, Niebuhr and Heschel became such good friends but they asked each other, would they preach at the other one's funeral should the other one die first? And of course, they said yes. Niebuhr is the one who passes away first. Heschel preaches at his sermon, uh, preaches the sermon at his uh, at his eulogy, and 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 that made you know that sort of told me how pioneering these two people were because back in the 1950s and 60s, you didn't cross faith divides like that in that kind of way. Oftentimes you didn't build friendships in the same kind of way, but that was not the case for Heschel and not the case for Reinhold Niebuhr. They became really good friends and trusted each other. Uh, And so when I made the film on Reinhold Niebuhr, I inevitably went back to, uh, to Susanna Heschel and said, tell me about this friendship your father had with Reinhold Niebuhr. And she was just great in that film. And that was part of the reason why a couple of years later, I got the privilege of going back and doing the film about Abraham Heschel and it's just it's just been a wonderful joy for me to be able to sort of experience his life and to tell his story to a wider audience.
1: Are you interested in theological education but not ready or able to commit to a fully master of divinity degree? BSK now offers two certificates that focus on general ministry training. The Exploring Ministry Certificates levels one and two will be available beginning this fall including course options such as introduction to pastoral care, the black church in America, and an invitation to Christian theology. These certificates provide options for your area of interest. BSK certificates only require students to take three courses and certificates count towards the master of divinity. If you or someone you know is interested in learning more about these certificates, visit BSK.edu. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners to join us in connecting with the podcast, become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview and a vip experience with the general assembly podcast guest there are five levels of listener support starting at five dollars per month for less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode for more information and to join the community of listener supporters visit cbf.net podcast support being a prophetic voice um, is not easy um, both you know, professionally, uh, personally, and certainly as a, as a person of faith. What do you think forged Heschel's capacity to be such a transcendent prophet?
0: Well, I think the word is, uh, prophet is written all over Abraham Joshua Heschel. Uh, he was absolutely um, a student of the scriptures, of, of, the, of the Testament, the, uh, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and he loved – he found he created a love in, early in life for the prophets of the Old Testament and how they had the courage to stand up and say the things that had to be said, confront the authorities to speak, as we would say later on, truth to power. Uh, and they became the model for him. Uh, he wrote about them as, it, as his um, doctoral dissertation back in the early 1930s. Uh, they had totally captivated him. Um, and and later on, and he kept that image with him throughout the course of his entire life. And so when he comes to the United States uh, at, at the beginning of World War II, he narrowly escapes Germany, uh, where he was studying at the University of Berlin. Gets out of there and comes to the United States in 1940. In at the start of the, just before the war has started here, and um, and he's he's constantly willing to stand up and speak truth to power, and that's what attracted. Martin Luther King to, to Abraham Joshua Heschel, and I think really it was King who was rising as a star in the in American social and political scene uh, that he gave, uh, you know, a really a significant platform to Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, because Martin Luther King saw that the prophets of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, had the courage to stand up and say the things that had to be said despite the fact that they were not popular. King knew he was doing that, and Heschel knew that he was doing that, and so as far as they were concerned, they had this common bond that they created, and it was really the the celebrity that Martin Luther King had had gained and attracted uh, throughout the United States, really around the world, Uh, and a lot of that, I think, was because of his friendship and association with Abraham Joshua Heschel. Both of them uh, had the courage to say things that would cost them uh, personally, cost them professionally, uh, but they were willing to do that.
1: Heschel was was not only a, a prophetic advocate during the rise of Nazi Germany and its anti-Semitism, but became a leading voice in the civil rights movement and the anti-war protest of, of the Vietnam War. At the time of the civil rights movement, he he received some substantial backlash from the Jewish community that feared his involvement in these matters would bring negative backlash uh, against the Jewish community who were already discriminated against across the country. Um, Talk to us about his willingness to join the civil rights leaders.
0: Well, I think what you mentioned uh, is really what makes his story, the Abraham Joshua Heschel story, so compelling. uh, Because you may not agree with him on all his particular issues, Uh, but he was outspoken and believed that this is what he felt as though God was calling him to do, and it may cost him, uh, but he was going to stay the course. And inevitably, history would decide whether or not he was on the right side of history or not. Um, I I think there are a lot of people today um, who are still supportive of what our activities were as a country in Vietnam. Uh, And so when I go out and I speak publicly about the story of Abraham Heschel, and I tell them that Abraham Heschel is one of the earliest voices of resistance to the war in Vietnam. Many, many people say how how wise that was, how far ahead of the curve that he was. And others in the audience will say, you know, I, you know, we, that war was still that's that, star, that war needs to be revisited and thought of in a different way. So I understand that there's not always unanimity in pe- and how people think of the of the Vietnam war conflict. But the truth is that early on. Abraham Heschel identified the Vietnam War as something that he believed was immoral, and this is way, Andy, way before um, the papers, the Pentagon Papers were released, and so it became clearer uh, to the American public uh, the extent of how the United States had, government had deceived the American people, how extensively our commitment was there in Vietnam. But Heschel was way ahead of that, and Heschel was able to convince Martin Luther King Jr., who had recently won the Nobel Prize for Peace. For his civil rights activities, to be able to say, I'm going to take that uh, professional uh, acclaim that I have, the recognition, the notoriety, and the authority that I have, the moral authority that I have as a, re- a result of my civil rights activities, and push this now into the conflict, the war in Vietnam. And a lot of that was because Abraham Heschel and he were friends, and Heschel told him, this is what I believe you should be doing Um, in in terms of credential that you've been able to achieve as a result of your civil rights activity. And beginning in 1967, Martin Luther King came forward and um, was very, very critical of the war in Vietnam. And standing right beside him when he did that was Abraham Joshua Heschel. And both of them received an enormous amount of pushback as a result of doing that uh, early on in the conflict. And uh, that's part of of the reason why for so many years, Heschel felt as though he was, was alienated uh, within his own academic community at Jewish Theological Seminary, but he felt he was supposed to do it anyway. Many of his uh, compatriots up at the, univer- at the seminary, the Jewish Theological Seminary, would say to Heschel, don't speak out against the war in Vietnam. It's going to, it's going to compromise the ability of America to continue to fund the efforts in Israel, the new nation of Israel. Um, and yet he felt as though he had to do it. And he felt so strongly about it, he was able to bring Martin Luther King into the, into the movement as well.
1: For Heschel, uh, faith and seeking justice go hand in hand. Um, why do you think some people of faith see the direct correlation of their faith and justice and others
0: do not? I think it's also a fair question to ask why, why some people can call themselves people of faith and don't seek justice. Um, Heschel's largest, Heschel's main theme, I think, throughout the course of his life was he was always challenging indifference. It's a theme that I put again and again throughout the course of the film. He would often say that the opposite of good is not evil. The opposite of good is indifference. And for people to stand aside when they're needed, when there are injustices that are self evident out there that need to be addressed, uh, is its own form of sin. And so for him, understanding his, his biblical uh, heritage, understanding the, what he felt as though the prophets were calling him to do, compelled him to take on a lot of different issues that were present in his day, and strangely enough, continued in different ways to be relative to us today. So I think Heschel's call to not, to, to not be indifferent to have the courage to stand up with conviction against the injustices that we see around us, which are many today, as they were in his time, uh, is the lasting legacy of Abraham Joshua Heschel.
1: What do you think Heschel's work would focus on today if he were living?
0: Well, um, I've been doing a lot of uh, podcasts and interviews and talks uh, on the Heschel film now. uh, And uh, a number of them I've done with Susanna Heschel. And everybody would ask, well, what would Heschel be doing today? And she's the first one to admit that my father would be on the front lines to say that Black Lives Matter. He would be there saying his whole life was a testament to the fact that Black Lives Matter. Um, so I think the racial divide in America, which uh, which is it, it, which is still self-evident in our country today, needs to continue to be addressed and needs to be confronted. Uh, and I I think he'd be out in front of those in front of those protests, in front of those attempts to make that a public a, a public policy issue. Uh, and fighting as much as he could in the halls of power to see if if things could change. Uh, That would be right on the top of his list.
1: Who are the Abraham Joshua Heschels of of today?
0: Well, that's a question that comes up a lot. And um, when I was out on the road doing the film on uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, I probably did 40 or 50 public events with the Reinhold Niebuhr film. And and people would ask, "Who are the public theologians of the 21st century?" And that was hard, hard to uh, hard to talk about. I, I think there are, but there are good people out there um, that are really out. You know, William Barber is one of the most interesting characters I think on the religion scene today. Uh, William Barber, who who heads up Moral Mondays, um, Jim Wallace, um, who's just recently stepped aside at Sojourners magazine. Sojourners has been a real voice of a social conscience and social awareness for so many years. Uh, so there, there are people out there who are trying to continue to, to speak out, to speak truth to power at a time when it needs to be spoken, spoken about. Um, although one of the things that is really different today from before is that in the 1950s and 60s into the 70s, um, when we had so, such mag, mag, you know, magnified social and political issues that we were facing, um, the media, the public media often turn to religious figures for a moral perspective on the issues like race, but also nuclear war and uh, the imbalance of economics and so, so all the social tensions that were happening. We would talk to, we would ask for the moral perspective from religious voices. We don't do that like we used to in the past. Uh, the people are out there. We don't raise them up in the in the mainstream media the same way we did. Uh, two generations ago. For some reason or other, we just don't go to those moral voices like we used to, and I think that's our loss.
1: Again, Heschel was a Jewish rabbi who worked across religious boundaries for the sake of equal rights and peace. What can be said about his legacy of ecumenicalism and, and religious tolerance?
0: Well, I think first of all, uh, he he represents as a Jew a minority tradition in the United States, which is vastly overwhelmingly Christian. And so, um, he had one of two choices: Um, he would either his choice would be to either stay quiet and under the radar, and not disturb anybody, which is what a lot of other Jews were recommending that he do, Um, or he could join the mainstream and use his voice and his high intellect. And his skill at writing and speaking. I mean, once you read Heschel and and sort of get into his mindset, you think this is you realize that this is one of the really extraordinary extraordinarily gifted characters uh, in in American 20th century. But he would not step aside. Um, many many immigrants in this country, whether it's uh, ra- you know for racial reasons or for um, religious reasons, come to the United States, and they feel more comfortable keeping a lower profile. So he's both a, um, an immigrant to this country and a part of a minority religion in this country, uh, and yet at the same time, he won't, he won't keep quiet. He can't be shut up. Um, he speaks articulately, and people found a way to, to listen to his voice and get his voice known. So I, I think it, he's a story of great courage and of moral certitude that we, we continue to look at, and it continues to resonate for us today.
1: After researching and, and documenting such a remarkable life, um, how were you personally changed because of Abraham Joshua Heschel's life and legacy?
0: Well, certainly I talked about the the whole notion of being uh, willing to say that it's safer to be indifferent, uh, but um, that's not the wisest. That's not the path that the prophets are calling us to. So clearly the notion of getting involved, making us standing up, Doing your study, studies and, and speaking out—that's—and uh, we—and I feel as though the way that I try to do that is with the films that I make. Uh, and so, for me, making a film about Heschel is part of my own moral conviction. I, one of the famous lines that comes out of Abraham Heschel uh, is when he was marching in Selma. He's on the front row with Martin Luther King. Most of the people in the front row were African Americans. He winds up being one of the—you uh, know—he's he's a Jewish—a um, Jewish personality. They're on the front lines in Selma uh, in 1965. He said as he was marching with, with everybody there, the thousands that were marching in Selma, he felt his legs were praying. Uh, and that's, that's really one of the more famous lines that, that's always remembered for Abraham Heschel. Um, but what it also symbolizes is the idea that uh, Heschel saw that social response, uh, that public protest as a, as a form of prayer. And I think that's a great example for all of us that we see lots of social protests going on in America today, and many, most of them are well deserved. They need to be said. Um, and yet he did it out of what he felt as though it was a conviction, a calling by his God, to be able to stand up, and be able to present himself and offer himself, and that therefore his very presence became a, a form of prayer. That's another great example, I think, that that Heschel gives us all, and particularly relative at this time for all of us to think about that. What's your hope for the film? Well, I hope that a lot of these major theological themes um, that Heschel lived his entire life presenting and bringing to us um, will be able to sort of connect to a mainstream audience. My, My challenge, Andy, is to be able to tell a story about a religious figure and put it on mainstream television. That's that's a big challenge. When I began this work, uh, you know, now 40 years ago, um, it was understood that religion was a part of the American culture, uh, that there was time carved out in the day and the week uh, for uh, for religious activities, um, and that um, I could assume that I could get time on the broadcast spectrum, on the broadcast cycle. Uh, for stories about religion. It's not the same way anymore. Um, we, we have to fight for every hour we can get on national public television or main public television uh, to be able to tell these kinds of stories. And so I have to tell them in such a way that I know that there are a lot of people who are watching the film who've ha- who may have, who be, may be suspicious of religion itself, may have had a bad experience with uh, someone who calls themselves religious, and so there's a lot of, I think, a, a lot of blockage between people who are viewing these kinds of films uh, and my intention of the story to deliver it to them. So I have to bring it out in such a way that it appeals to the common humanity in all of us. And I think Heschel does exactly that. I think he speaks like a courageous figure. His, his own story is dramatic, meaning that he, he, you know, he leaves Germany at a time with the rise of Nazis. So he's seen, he lost his mother and three sisters to the institutionalized brutality of Nazism, and so he's someone who could have easily been vengeful for the entirety of his public life, but you don't hear or see any in any of his writings a, a, a notion of revenge or vindictiveness. There's none of that. What you see in Heschel is a, a sense that God is working here with us. We have to take what God has given us and find a way to continue to discover the awe and what he would call radical amazement in the world today and find our ways to infuse that into ourselves because that's God's intention and then to be able to go out into the world and make the world a better place. I think that was what Heschel came to the United States to do and uh, he, he was able to use his great gift of language and his wonderful writings and those writings will endure. They spoke to people at that time Clearly, and I think even fifty years since his passing, they speak to us today. As things
1: uh, continue to open up, um, coming out of this pandemic, um, what kind of projects are you working on that you would want us to be
0: aware of? Well, I'm going to spend uh, some time later this fall and the beginning of 2022, as you say, hopefully because the pandemic is we're getting a we're getting control of the pandemic. Uh, I'm getting invitations to go out and do public events with these films and I'll be out doing the public events uh, with the Heschel film uh, and have a chance to engage audiences all across the country and talk about the storylines that come out of Heschel's own personal story. Um, Yes, he's a Jewish figure, but I think he's a major important religious, political and social figure of the 20th century American story. Uh, And that's what I, I like to be able to bring out to the American audience. Um, and to do that in venues that give us a chance to watch the film and then engage with the themes that are coming out. So that's one of my big projects uh, for the, later on this year. And, and hopefully we won't, uh, we won't backslide in terms of COVID and we will be able to sort of stay on schedule and be able to go out and have a public events because I love doing that. That's one of the things that I got into this work for, to be able to t- make these films and then to be able to engage people. Uh, to talk to listen to their responses to see what actually affected them and what they remember as a result of watching the film and what's what's become important and you know in making the film certain parts of my life have been changed and one of the things that uh, I, I really listen for is how other people will watch the same film and find something that is actually life-changing for them one of the aspects that's really uh, resonated for me is that one of the classic writings of Abraham Joshua Heschel is a book, a small book that he wrote called The Sabbath. Uh, and he wrote it in the early 1950s. And it continues to be um, a, a widely selling book. And it's used in seminaries and theological education all around America. And he talked about a, the Sabbath being a cathedral in time. It's a whole way of thinking about the entirety of the holy day as a day to, to rest and reflect, to gather as community to be excited about its coming, to prepare for it, and Sabbath has become a real theme here in my house, uh, and it's something that uh, we value. I am Christian, uh, and yet at the same time, I think there's so much about a notion of Sabbath that I find absolutely compelling, the whole notion of revisiting the creation story once a week, that, that God has a cycle for us to think in terms of work and then rest, work and then rest. And so that's, that's one of the themes that's continued to resonate as a result of doing the film.
1: The film is Spiritual Audacity, the Abraham Joshua Heschel story. Uh, check with your local PBS on, uh, station online uh, to see if they have it available, or you can purchase it on Amazon. Our guest is Martin Doblmeier, documentary filmmaker. You can find out more about Martin's work at journeyfilms.com. Uh, Martin, thank you for taking the time to, to have this conversation. We are grateful for your brilliant work in enriching the world by telling the story
0: of remarkable faith leaders. Well, it's been my pleasure, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it.